0: Chapter Twelve of the Star Chamber, an historical romance, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume Two by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter Twelve The Tilting Match. After all the other competitors for the prize had essayed a career within the arena, Sir Jocelyn's was held to be the best course run the ring was again carried off both by the earl of pembroke and lord mordaunt but in the opinion of the marshals of the field neither of those noblemen displayed so much grace and skill as munchensy and the decision was confirmed by the king the applauses which rang through the tilt-yard on the announcement that our handsome young knight had gained the first course increased the bitterness of buckingham's feelings towards him and he expressed his regrets in a low tone to sir giles mompesson that the combat about to take place was not a instead of being a plaisance sir giles smiled grimly in reply some little time elapsed during which preparations were made for the tilting match and great excitement pervaded the assemblage the king laughingly inquired of the spanish ambassador if he still felt secure of winning his wager and was answered by de Gondomar that he had never had the slightest misgiving on the subject but he was now better satisfied than ever that the result of the coming struggle would justify his expectations. In the ladies' gallery an unusual degree of interest was manifested in what was going forward, and many a wish was audibly expressed by many a fair dame in Montchency's favor. At length the trumpets sounded and the cries of the heralds were heard, cheering on the combatants as they prepared to dash furiously against each other, bidding them do their devoir bravely since bright eyes looked down upon them. These stimulants to valorous display were scarcely needed, for the champions were eager to prove their prowess. Issuing one by one from beneath their respective scaffolds, and curbing the impatience of their steeds till they received from the marshal's permission to start, they rushed from their posts with lightning swiftness to meet with a crashing shock midway. Various successes attended the different combatants, but on the whole the advantage lay clearly on the side of the duke of lennox none of whose party had sustained any material discomfiture while on the side of prince charles the earls of montgomery and rutland had been unhorsed the interest of the spectators was kept in breathless suspense to the last it being arranged that the tilting match should close with the conflict between buckingham and monchensee thus when the trumpets sounded for the seventh and last time and the two knights stationed themselves opposite each other, every eye was intently fixed upon them. Apparently no two antagonists could be better or more equally matched than they were, and throughout the whole field it would have been in vain to search for another pair equally gifted by nature, both being models of manly beauty of feature and symmetry of frame. Indeed, they might have been cast in the same mold, so nearly alike were they in shape and size, and if their armor had been similar and their steeds corresponding in color, They would have been undistinguishable when apart buckingham in some respects presented the nobler figure of the two owing to his flowing plumes his embossed and inlaid armour and the magnificent housings of his charger but he was fully rivalled by the grace and chivalrous air of his antagonist as the marquis confident in his address disdained the use of passe-garde and the mentonniere manchesy abandoned those defences though they were used by all the other knights, and placed his reliance in the strength of his breastplate and gorget, and in the force of his right arm. When summoned forth by the trumpets, the two champions executed demivolts with curvets, and then stood stock still at either end of the barriers. Each then selected a lance from the bundle offered them by the esquires, and their choice of a weapon made, they carefully fastened down their visors, which up to this moment had been raised seeing them in readiness the heralds gave the signal for the encounter starting against each other like thunderbolts they met in mid-career the shock was tremendous and many a cry sprang from female lips while bursts of applause arose from the heartier spectators both lances were shivered but the results of the strokes dealt on either side were widely different monsensy maintained his seat firmly in the saddle though his steed had been forced back upon its haunches by his opponent's blow Who had touched his gorget, and riding on with all the ease, vigor, and grace our young knight had previously exhibited, he threw down the truncheon of his lance, and opened his gauntlet to show that his hand was wholly uninjured. Very differently had it fared with Buckingham, whose defeat was unquestionable. Unhorsed and unhelmeted, he was rolled in the dust, and as he sprang to his feet, had the mortification of hearing the deafening cheers that greeted his adversary's triumph eager to hide his confusion he vaulted upon the back of his steed which was brought to him by an esquire the animal's flanks still quivering and reeking from the terrible shock it had undergone and dashed beneath the scaffold he had so lately quitted his pride severely humbled while the crestfallen favourite thus retired to recover himself sir jocelyn rode slowly towards the royal gallery having now raised his visor his features were fully revealed to view and perhaps were never seen to such advantage as at this proud and happy moment. His emotions were indeed enviable, but one thing was wanting to complete his satisfaction, the presence of her before whom, of all others, he was most eager to distinguish himself. What mattered it that scarves and kerchiefs were waved to him by some of the fairest dames in the land? What mattered it that his name was called aloud, and that gloves and knots of ribbons fell at his feet as he rode past the ladies' gallery? His heart was untouched by smile or glance, and he paused not to pick up one of the favors showered upon him. But what means this sudden change in his demeanor? Why does he start and stop, and look inquiringly towards the back of the gallery? Whom does he discern among that bevy of beauties? Can it be Aveline? And if so, how comes she there? As he pauses, all eyes are fixed upon her towards whom his gaze is directed. There is no difficulty in detecting the object of his regards, for her attire is simpler than that of all the glittering dames around her, and of a sadder hue. Her confusion also betrays her. She would not be seen by him she came to see. She would muffle up her features, but it is too late, and she is not only fully exposed to his view, but to that of a hundred other curious eyes. Though many a high-born damsel marvels at the young knight's insensibility to her own superior attractions, none can deny that the unknown maiden is exquisitely beautiful and demands are eagerly made as to who she may be no one can answer and no clue is given by her companion for the elderly dame by whom she is attended and who resembles a duenna is likewise unknown to all as soon as sir jocelyn recovers his surprise he requests a favour from the lady of his love and she cannot refuse him for immediately all the dames in front of the gallery move aside to let her advance With her pale cheeks crimsoned with blushes, and her dark eyes flashing with mingled emotions of shame and pleasure, Aveline steps forward, and having no other favor to bestow upon her knight, she gives him her kerchief, which she presses to his lips, and then with a graceful salutation moves forward on his course. This is no time for explanation, and he must be content with his happiness without inquiring how it has been procured for him. The incident, however, has been generally noticed, and causes a good deal of speculation and talk amongst the female portion of the assemblage. There is one individual, however, of the opposite sex, who witnesses it with sentiments different from those by which most of the other observers are affected. This is Sir Giles Mompesson. He, it appears, has not been unaware of Avalon's presence at the Jousts, though he did not anticipate its revelation in this manner to Sir Jocelyn and a bitter smile crosses his lips as he watches the brief interview between the pair he cares not what transports they indulge in now nor what hopes they form for the future he promises himself that he will effectually mar their bliss chapter twelve